Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial. Hi, I'm Anne, and with host, co-host Bill, I would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which 3CR transmits people-powered radio. We would like to pay our respects to elders past and present, and to acknowledge that the land was never ceded. Each week on the Living Free Show, we showcase one of the many programs that assist in recovery from drug, alcohol, gambling and food addictions. Our guests share their recovery stories and highlight that shared experience saves lives. This week, the focus will be on both Al-Anon family groups and Alcoholics Anonymous because our guest Richard is a member of both fellowships. Welcome, Richard. Thanks, Anne. Um Okay, so um, would you like to just start us off by telling us uh, where and when you grew up? Yeah, I, well, I, I was born in the early 60s and I grew up in Blackburn and I'm the seventh child in an eight-children ch- family, um, English migrants. My my parents arrived in England, uh, in Australia, New Year's Day 1958 with four kids and then they had another four of us here in Australia and it, it was a very um, full house but it's all I ever knew so I didn't um, I wasn't aware that it was unusual to have so many children but I do remember feeling a little bit uh, alone and for some reason my mother didn't send me to kindergarten or preschool she kept me home and during this time she was suffering from a mental illness and was quite unwell uh, and that lasted until I was in my teenage years when she had shock treatment a number of times and recovered to some extent and I never I always thought that she had schizophrenia but looking back it was more likely to be bipolar because of the medication she was on and the symptoms that she had and I have I live with bipolar myself, so and I understand that it's hereditary, so it makes sense to me. So it was an unusual childhood, but it was all I knew. I didn't know that it was unusual at the time. So looking back, Richard, how how as an adult do you see your child self reacting to your mother's mental illness? I felt completely responsible for her well being. Uh, and I, uh, especially through being a, a member of Al-Anon for a number of years now, I've really, I really identify with that notion of being the rescuer. And that even from the time, as long as I can remember, from the time I was five or six, I remember feeling that I had to keep mum well. And that if she was withdrawing into herself, then it was, it was my fault. And I felt very alone in that case. I didn't feel like I had my siblings around me helping. It, it seemed to be all my responsibility. I'm not really sure why that is. Can you tell me, I just, um, my mind's gone blank. Where did you come in that family of eight again? Seven. I'm number seven. Wow. So I'm the second youngest. Mm-hmm. 
So, um, and yet, you know, my younger brother went to kindergarten and I was at home with mm-hmm. mum. Okay. And, and she, she told me that she kept me home because she, she liked my company. And she taught me to read and write and okay. do sums and things. So, so yeah. she might have been deliberately um, homeschooling you. And, and yeah. 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 And so uh, did you end up going to school? When did you end up going to school? Grade one. I started at St. What was it? St. Thomas's Primary School. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, and how was school for you um, with both the academic side of it and the friendship side of it? Um, I love. I loved it. I found it a, a little bit boring uh, in the early years because I, my reading was uh, ahead of other kids, and so. But the teacher let me read from the grade three readers when I was in grade one, <laughs> <laughs> and I always had a, a. I never had a huge number of friends, but I always had two or three or one or two close friends. Yeah, and um, yeah, I, I enjoyed school. I enjoyed learning. And what about your teenage years? How was how was? Tell me about that. I was a very awkward teenager. <laughs> I was really skinny, and um, and I, I I went to an all boys high school, and so I, I only met girls through a church youth group, which was you know holding hands was a little bit that was a, even that was out of the question. So I was very insecure and very uh, immature, I think, as a teenager. Um, and I, I loved music and I, I played guitar and I used to um, spend hours lying underneath the pool table playing guitar and singing sad Beatles songs to myself. This is at, <laughs> this is at school or this is at home? At home. Okay. Yeah, no, not at school. Uh, school, I, um, yeah, it was, I was one of the good boys at yep. school, yeah. <laughs> okay, and I know you told me before it was it was Whitefriars, uh, the boys' school there, and then you went to Blackburn High. What, what what was happening there? Well, Blackburn High, after a week, I realised that the thing that was most different about it was that it didn't smell of bo. <laughs> the guys used to actually have a shower after <laughs> after footy practice, and and having girls there and being able to have friendships with girls was was great for me. I really. Um, enjoyed that and um and there's a strong music program at blackburn high and i learned an awful lot in that year actually because mm-hmm. i was in the stage band and I, I learned a lot musically yeah and what about alcohol were there parties or were you drinking were the people uh, around you drinking not that i know of um i i was 18 by this stage because i i had, I had glandular fever and had to leave Whitefriars, so i was 18, and there was an, a couple of other students who were also 18. But the the party, I remember going to someone's birthday party and we just met at a cafe in the city and it wasn't really a thing. Mm. And in fact, I did, a, I did a research project with two girls into alcoholism as part of our English course. Um, and uh, drinking alcohol was... Not just didn't enter into my mind in those days. Wow. Okay. Um, so when did you first um, get involved with alcohol? I started playing in bands and I, I was playing um, in little pubs in St Kilda in Richmond, um, in playing in the lounge but we, or in the public bar. And I got to know a lot of old guys 
who would be there in the afternoon when we set up and they'd still be there when we started playing at nine o'clock. And I thought that's what alcohol was. And I was on pea plates, so I, you know, I wasn't supposed mm. to drink. So the publicans used to make me tea and I'd, drink a, uh, I'd have a pot of tea. But later on, I was overseas and I got drunk for the first time and I thought this was great. And I just, um, up until then, I'd been just a normal drinker who had had a glass of wine at dinner with the family and it didn't mean anything. You know, I really didn't have any particular attitude. I just thought that there were some old men who sat in Mm. pubs and drank all day and I thought that's what an alcoholic was. But when that first time I got drunk... And I was in I was in Copenhagen with some friends, and we drank nonstop for a week, and I had the best time. <laughs> <laughs> and that, after that, my relationship with alcohol changed. Yeah. So talk about talk about that a little bit. What, what was that relationship then like? Well, then I can explain. You know, the best way maybe is you know I I travelled back from Copenhagen to this. Uh, Christian community that I was living with in Italy and the first thing I did was I rem- I made sure I knew where the keys to the wine cupboard were because you know in the communal kitchen there was a cupboard that was full of wine and the key was in a drawer and I used to find an excuse there was someone's national day because there were people <laughs> from all around the world or it was someone's birthday I, every day I found an excuse to get a couple of bottles of wine and, and drink. And I wanted to drink. I wanted to have that sort of buzz going all the time. I just wanted it to carry on. Mm. Why and did I, this Christian community have a, a cupboard full of wine? Well, they're, they're Catholics. <laughs> oh, Catholics. Oh, okay. okay, that's it. <laughs> Mainly Catholics. Yeah. Not, not exclusively, but... Um, yeah, and yeah, there's nothing unchristian about drinking wine. No, no. And what's uh, what's the buzz like? What was this buzz like? Uh, I think um, the, the, the one way I think of it is that all of the pressure that I've put on myself to look after everybody else, to be responsible for everyone else's well-being and their happiness, which I felt very strongly, alcohol seemed to take that away and I could just be. I'd be happy in the moment when I was, when I was drunk. Mm-hmm. And I found that really difficult uh, without alcohol. I, I was always worried about how I was coming across whether I was doing the right thing, saying the right thing, I always felt out of place. Mm-hmm. And did that? How long did that work for you? And did it stop working for you at some stage? Um, well, I managed to have a, a reasonably sort of normal life. I got back to Australia, and I was working, and I ended up getting married. Well, I had I had a child, and then got married, and I got a better job and had more children my my then wife never liked my drinking and always was always worried about it and I and I suspect that she was 
never too keen on marrying me in the first place, but we had a child and she, I don't think she felt much choice. Because of the drinking, do you think? Yeah, yeah. I think so, mm. yeah. And But I got to a point where she kicked me out and I started drinking... Uh, I started drinking in the morning before on the way to work and I started drinking at lunchtime and I became a, a round-the-clock top-up drinker. And I still managed to work for a number of years off and on and here and there, but um, it was pretty disastrous. Mm-hmm. So um, how bad did it get? Um, I got bad enough that I I attempted suicide once and it used to be on my mind a lot but the thing that I remember clearly one morning I woke up and I was living in the same bedroom that I'd grown up in but this time I was on my own I didn't share it with three brothers mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was living with my elderly mother who was in her 80s my father had died a, a year beforehand and I just and I knew that I didn't want to keep on living like that. And I knew that I needed to stop drinking. And I knew that in order that I wasn't able to stop drinking on my own, that I needed to go to a detox. And I knew that a detox on its own wouldn't be enough because I'd done lots before. And I thought I needed to go to some form of rehab. And I was pretty sure that AA was going to be a part of okay. my recovery as well. So you knew about AA? Yeah, I'd been to meetings. Uh, my first meeting was at Mooney Ponds soon after my wife had kicked me out. My I, my younger brother took me in and he suggested I maybe try AA. Mm-hmm. So I went to this meeting. And I had my prejudices confirmed. It was full of old men <laughs> and they seemed they looked like the same old men that I'd seen in St Kilda. <laughs> But instead of sitting in the pub all day, they were now sitting in these meetings, smoking and drinking coffee and saying things like, it's the first drink that gets you drunk and all this sort of stuff and banging the table Uh. with, if you drink, you will die. And it was very, very blokey and it put me off a little bit. I went back the next week. Um... But um, I kept poking my nose in over the years. I, every now and then I'd go to a few meetings, um, mainly so that people would think I was doing something about my drinking. The people around, your family. Family yeah. and friends, you know. And maybe I was trying to convince myself that I was doing something. It's okay to drink because I'm going to AA, so sooner or later, at some point in the future, I'll get better. But today I'm going to drink. Yeah, you hadn't actually decided. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right, Richard, I think we'll take a break now. Um, and you've brought us in some music. Uh, uh, Ron Sexsmith, Canadian songwriter. Um, and he's got a song called Strawberry Blonde. Not the girl next door, but the girl from around the corner. Sat the tail end of before when she came to school one morning. And all eyes were upon 
Join me, Aya Cry with Ubuntu Voices. Wednesday at 8.30 p.m. on 3CR. Ubuntu is a Zulu word, meaning I am here because you are. Ubuntu celebrates the positive contribution African Australians make to our communities in music, academia, the arts, and everything in between. Come with me on a journey. Ubuntu Voices, every Wednesday at 8.30 p.m. None of us are free. One of us is chained. None of us are free. Boldness, campaigning for human rights for people with disabilities. Join us every third Wednesday of the month at 6pm on 3CR. You're listening to a 3CR podcast. 
3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned to hear the rest of your 3CR podcast. This is a Living Free Show on 3CR 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. If you would like to listen to one of our many podcasts, then you can find us on your preferred podcast platform or just Google 3CR Living Free and check out our website. You can also contact, uh, contact us via phone, email or Twitter. We are talking today with Richard, a member of Alcoholics Anonymous and Al-Anon Family Groups. So Richard, you were just explaining to us before how you um, uh, discovered alcohol and uh, it uh, didn't actually... Helped in the short term, but made your life unmanageable eventually. <laughs> um, so, and you've uh, been dabbling with AA. When did you make the decision to abstain and just stick with AA? Well, it was that that day that I um, told you about back in 2011, where I woke up and just didn't want to carry on living the way I had been living, and knew that I had to stop drinking. And I'd been to enough AA meetings that I'd heard people talk about how um, regular, frequent meetings had helped them stay sober. And I, I just had a sense that there was some, some, something in the, about the program, something about the twelve steps that maybe I needed to take seriously. But I wasn't, I wasn't, I was a little bit hesitant. And I, I went into a detox and I went into a, a, re, a year-long rehab program or supported accommodation program. And I started going to AA meetings and I was sober this time. In the past, I'd always been drunk or only maybe a, a few days sober. But usually I was drunk in the meetings. And I seemed to be hearing things, things seemed to be making sense to me that I didn't accept previously. And there was something, my very first meeting, there was one guy who spoke and he was a house painter and he talked about getting a progress payment for a job, taking the money, going to the pub, drinking for three days and then having to get all his friends to help him finish off the job. And I didn't have any experiences like that, but it resonated with me, that sense of alcohol making my life out of control. And I knew that, you know, there had been times when I had to work until three in the morning to finish a project because I'd spent so much time drinking that I was way behind. And so I, that made sense to me. And I thought, well, if AA had helped this guy, and, and he'd given me a lift home after my first meeting and treated me with a bit of respect, and, and he seemed like a decent human being, and I thought... If he is getting value out of it, then maybe there's something there for me. Hmm. I haven't seen him since. <laughs> I think he's got, he was talking that he was going back to Queensland, so maybe. But, um, yeah, I remember him. Hmm. The year-long um, rehabilitation um, program that you were in, did that emphasise AA? Was that the no, model? No, no. It was um, very much you were encouraged to go if you felt like it. Um, if you were interested, and they had a peer support program as part of the uh, or peer support meetings as part of the program, and we did um, quite a lot of art therapy. Which I, I'm not an artist; I'm a musician. But uh, 
um, I found that really useful. Um, there were a couple of people working there who were 12-step members, but um, they kept that a little bit quiet. Um, it's a bit out of fashion, uh, mm. AA and 12 steps. People seem to think that having this concept of a higher power is somehow medieval. A barrier. Yeah, and um, and that we know better nowadays about how the brain works and about how our psychology works. We know People think we know better than they did back in the 20s and 30s when the 12 steps mm. were developed. I think that's a mistake myself. But Would you please just talk, talk about that higher power um, thing? Because that's, that's the key difference, isn't it, between this program and a lot of the, the more mainstream uh, cognitive behaviour programs? Yeah. It's, and it's the, spiritual, it's the spiritual realm that the 12 steps deal with. It is, it is. Although there are atheists who, who are members of AA and Al-Anon and who still believe in a higher power and... You know, it's very clear to me that gravity is a power greater than myself. And, 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 you know, you're a bit of a fool if you ignore gravity. And I, so I, and I also think that there are, there are lots of things in life that have more, that are higher powers than I am, have more power over me than I have over my own life. Um, so it's no great leap for me to believe in a higher power who can help me. And, you know, I grew up in a church and I had a sense of a personal relationship with a, with a higher power, with a God. But I tend to think these days of uh, the way I conceive of a higher power is that the higher power is actually the universe, that God is actually everything. And God's not a person in the sky. And I think that's the mistake that a lot of us make, is that we think that when someone says the word God, they're talking about something that you may have learnt about when you were five or four. And you had the mind of a a four-year-old who could only think in concrete terms. Yeah, and I often hear people talking in the the rooms, in AA and Al-Anon meetings, and they're talking about their concept of a higher power and they're rejecting what they think is God. But the God they're talking about is a child who they've got a childish understanding. I don't mean to be, I don't want to sound like I'm putting people down. I'm just saying the God that people reject is not the God that I believe in. Okay. Um, so. Talk a little bit more. You say it's the universe, and and yet we know that it's useful to pray and meditate. Um, and, and I think the twelve steps basically say you, you're not praying to ask of what you want. You're praying to know what God's will is for you. So, would would it be right to say that you're praying to know what the universe's will is for you? And if so, how do you you know how do you how do you conceive of prayer when you're talking about the universe? I think a prayer. I I I use some prayers that I learnt through my childhood because I'm still a member of a church because I don't I, I don't um, I don't see that as a, a limitation. And so I'll say some words and I do a prayer that's like a mantra where you it's very repetitive. And 
but when while I'm doing that, I'm trying to connect. I'm trying to open my mind up to to just to to be. So I don't have to. I try not to be expecting anything. I try to be aware of what's around me, and I often do this when I'm walking. And so I'll notice that the birds are singing. I'll do what what people call mindfulness, which is come about. It's like it's some new age idea, but it's, for me, this is part of an ancient yeah. Christian tradition where you yeah. you know, um, it's nothing new about it um, from my point of view. And it's in that moment where I'm experiencing my awareness that I think that that's prayer. Mm. And it's not just Christian. It's all. I think you um, probably all religions get back to something like that, or at least have a part of a part, a part of it that's dealing, that's doing mindfulness. In absolutely, that way. Yeah. absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, that anything more to say about that higher power thing before we move on from that? Well, I think the. One thing is that it's changed over the years. You know, I came, when I first saw the 12 steps and I saw the word God and I thought, well, I know what that is. You know, I had an understanding that God is love, which is, which I still believe, but that's really just exchanging one one vague concept for another because <laughs> what's love, you know. So it's changed and it continues to grow and... I find that when I feel connected to the universe, connected to my higher power, that's when I feel peaceful. And that's when I feel that same kind of lack of pressure that alcohol used to give me. And so now if I get agitated or I get worked up or I'm getting fixated on something or someone has annoyed me, Somehow my equilibrium's been dis- disturbed. In the old days, I'd drink to make that all settle down, whereas now I can stop and pause and try and connect to my higher power. And uh, and that way, you know, we talk about serenity, and uh, and um, in Alan on they talk about peace and happiness, mm-hmm. and I I find I'm able to connect with that. Mm. And the show's called Living Free, so uh, freedom is, is the it's freedom from that pressure, isn't it? From the multiple pressures that we put on ourselves and other people put on us or, or that we perceive are on us. And in fact, a day at a time, there's actually not that much pressure on us at all. That's right, yeah, yeah. Okay, so back to your story. Um, how, what led you to Al-Anon? My partner is an alcoholic and... Um, and I had a, a, a sponsor in AA who suggested that I go to Al-Anon to learn because I spent a lot of time talking about her drinking <laughs> yeah. when I was sober, you know, because I, I got sober uh, 10 years ago and she's continued to drink up until recently. And so it was yeah it was an aa member who suggested that i go mm-hmm. and i thought that i would learn how to help her stop drinking but i learned but pretty even at the first meeting i realized that's not what it's about 
But the thing that struck me was in the opening, the suggested opening for Eleanor Meetings, where it says that we can find peace and even happiness whether the alcoholic's still drinking or not. And I thought, that's what I want. I want to be able to be happy and have serenity regardless of what my partner does. Mm-hmm. And has that worked? For, has, it, has, that been, has that been proven to be a uh, possibility? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I still, uh, I rang my partner the other night and she didn't answer and didn't ring me back. And she's been sober for some time, but my thought is, oh my God, she's drinking. <laughs> so I'm still a bit, uh, my life's still a bit unmanageable. Yep. But I realise that that thought's a bit crazy and that even if she is, there's nothing I can do about it and my worrying about it's not going to change anything. And sure enough, you know, we talked the next day, and and her, she's she'd use some app to um, monitor her bedtime, and it turned her <sighs> phone off after a certain hour, so it served me right for ringing too late. <laughs> but I still find that um, I get agitated if I think that she's drinking, but I have some techniques to to deal with that. I know that that that's a fruitless pursuit. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, we'll take another break and it's another song um, supplied by Richard, a uh, band I've never heard of before, Teenage Fan Club. Uh, it's from an album called Songs from Northern Britain. Apparently it's a short-lived Scottish band um, and the song's called Start Again. It's 
Freedom of species has hit the airwaves. Tune in for debates and updates on both local and international animal protection news and events, and learn about how you can live a cruelty free, sustainable lifestyle. Animales news, views, and non leather shoes that's Freedom of Species, 1 pm Sundays on 3CR. Authorised by the last few remaining kangaroos, Canberra. Get up, stand up. Stand up for your right. Hi, I'm Robbie Thorpe. Beyond the Bars is 3CR's annual prison radio series, where we share the mic with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander men and women in Victoria's prisons. Get up, stand up. Beyond the Bars started in 2002. And this year marks 21 years on air. So tune in at 11am each day during NADOC from Monday the 4th of July to Friday the 8th of July for the Beyond the Bars 2022 broadcasts. For more information, head to our website 3cr.org.au backslash beyondthebars. This is a Living Free show on 3CR Digital Radio, live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. And we're talking to Richard about recovery from problem drinking and also from the effects of being close to someone with a problem of alcoholism. And before we get back to Richard, I'd just like to say that Teenage Fan Club, who um, the album from which that last song was taken, are still going, even though I said they were short-lived. So... Apologies to Teenage Fan Club. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so, Richard, uh, you're a member of these two 12-step uh, programs. Um, do, you, do you find that they require something different of you? Are they, are, they, are they different in some way? In what ways are they different? Uh, the, the, uh, I think the ways they're different are, are uh, on the surface fairly trivial. One thing that Alanon is very keen on traditions of anonymity and of not mentioning outside um, publications, outside um, concepts. You don't talk about your religion and, and you, you don't necessarily talk about what you do as a profession. Whereas in AA, there's often talk of those things. Um, it's a bit more free-for-all. And I actually prefer the Al-Anon approach which is very focused on the program in an Al-Anon meeting you talk about Al-Anon 
and I find some AA meetings get off, people talk about all kinds of things that aren't mm. necessarily the program. Mm. One great thing about, about Al-Anon and about the pro- both fellowships, I think, is that they have got no opinion on outside issues. That's right, yeah. Mm. yeah uh, and that's been really important for me. And and I've learned to take that... I try and tell myself that too, you know, particularly, you know, when the the November 2020 American election was... Very, I was obsessed with that and my life was out of control <laughs> because of something that's happening in a country the other side of the world that has nothing to do with me, you know. I've got a few American guitars, but, you know, really, it's nothing to do with me. And I had to tell myself I have no opinion on outside issues. I don't have to worry about it. I can let it go. And mm. uh, I found that really helpful yes, that's to right. my sanity. That's right. So you can still follow these issues, but you don't have to actually, uh, you know, give your, your uh, make them your higher power. Well, that's right, and I and I I put my own well being first. And even last night, I was driving home, and there was some news coming on that was disturbing me. And I thought, I don't want to think about this now. And I changed the channel. And it's an important, you know, these things are important issues for a lot of people. But I don't have to make a decision about every issue and every topic. I don't have to have a, a, a point of view. When I was younger, I thought I did. Mm-hmm. But I've learnt that I don't have to and I can have an open mind. Mm. And, uh, and it's great to go to an Al-Anon meeting and know that you're not going to hear somebody talk about politics or yeah. something that, that you don't agree with. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Um, apart from the 12 st- well, talk of, we've talked a little bit about that higher power part of the 12 steps. Can you pick another part of the 12 steps, another one of the steps or something that you found particularly useful in, in either program? Well, step three made it. What is it? Made a decision to turn, turn our, our lives over, over to, to the, the care of God as we understood Him. Yeah. I, I, like I said, I grew up in a church and I was taught to try and live the will of God, and I never was. I, I always struggled to know what on earth that meant. What is the right thing to do? And somehow, with the twelve steps. You know, it became clear to me that the very, the very first thing that was the will of God for me was not to drink. And and after and so I thought, if I'm doing that, then I'm I'm ahead. And then I realised that I can try and do the. I heard this phrase, the next right thing. And sometimes I struggled with what that was, but in Al-Anon I found. I heard that it, the next right thing for myself, what was the right thing for me to do? And I thought, I've, I'd always thought that I had to forget about myself and do what everyone else needed. But Alanon gave me this real gift of understanding that I'm actually a valuable human being just as I am. And that if I want to have a cup of tea, then I can have a cup of tea and enjoy it. And... Um, and I've learnt that you know a cup of tea is a, is a good thing for me. Maybe sarsaparilla not too much because one sarsaparilla leads to another, and I end up not losing any weight. <laughs> yep, say that. Yep, yep. And so I'd learned by trial and error, and by listening to other people, and by talking with 
wiser members, I learn what is useful for me, what's helpful for me and what isn't. Mm. And so I think of that step three as handing, I'm willing to be guided and I'm guided by my own experience and by the experience of others. Yep. And the universe gives information, doesn't it? That's right. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, now, what about issues? The issues that we often talk about in meetings are resentment, worry, depression, obsession. Um, have any of these been of concern for you? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think um, well, all of them. Not so much worry. I'm I'm not a great worrier, but I I do get resentments. I get very judgmental, and I actually uh, have periods of depression, which is part of the living with bipolar. And you know what I've learnt is to acknowledge these feelings and recognise them in myself. And realise that I have choices about what I do, you know. And in fact, I've recently changed my work situation because the, uh, I was uh, struggling with depression with the workload that I had and so I changed it and I've gotten less. But I've been able to do that in a way that maintains my relationship with my employer and we're still on good terms and it's working well for both of us. In the past, I would have killed, you know, I would have, gone crazy trying to keep everyone else happy rather than do what take the steps that I needed to do for myself and similarly I'm very judgmental you know I often think that people are expressing themselves poorly or they've got the wrong ideas or you know I don't know why I'm like this but especially with Al-Anon I learned to recognize these um, these behaviours and to nip them in the bud and I, I sometimes think of a, a batsman just letting a ball through to the keeper just not playing, don't engage with that that thoughts come into my head but I don't have to play it or I think of them like a kid holding balloons and I cut the string and the balloons fly off I just let it go Focus on what the person's saying, or and not on what I think about it. So, I, and the less I live in that judgmental space, the happier I am. Mm. Okay, um, we're nearly out of time. Believe it or not, it feels like it hasn't been that long, <laughs> um, and you've got so much more to talk about. But um, I think a lot of people I've heard in in AA and to an, another extent, and to an extent in Al-Anon. Um, the problem of taking medication and stuff and getting treatment for things that are not related to um, alcoholism. Can you talk a little bit about about the, the problem of having a, a, a bipolar diagnosis as well as um, alcoholism? Uh, um, yeah, I think anyone who thinks that the 12 steps will cure you of a mental illness, aside from alcoholism, is on dangerous ground. And, you know... I think it's really important that I look after my mental health. If I, I'm used to depression and I'm quite comfortable with that. It's not pleasant, but I know what to expect. But I, I really don't want to go manic because I, I know that if I go into a mania, 
that drinking will look like the best idea anyone has ever had. And I've, I've had this experience and I thought, why don't I go out and drink all night? Wouldn't that be great? And I did. <laughs> and I uh, uh, had to leave my watch with the taxi driver because I'd spent every last cent I had on booze. And at the time, I thought that was the greatest plan anyone had ever had. And I really don't want to go back to that. So I take my medication, and I keep my appointments, and I monitor my own well-being. Um, and that's part of how I work the program. I've got, and it's the same as making sure I get enough sleep and that I eat healthily. I've got to respect who I am. And this is the way God made me, or the way the universe shaped me. Yeah. I've got to accept it. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Richard. Um, look, it's been great talking to you um, and listening to you. Um, if there is someone listening today who's finding it difficult to cope either with their own drinking, someone else's drinking, or with, their, with a mood disorder, what would you say, say there's three different people, what would you say to each one of those people? Well, I think I'd say the same thing is that even though you feel alone and usually in those experiences you feel incredibly alone and isolated, that actually there are other people who are living, who have lived in the same or in very similar circumstances and who have been able to find a way forward, a way out of the, the darkness. And I think hope is the, the, that there is hope for a better life. And, uh, and that's been my experience in all three of those situations. I didn't know what to do about my drinking, but AA gave me hope that there could be a way. I didn't know what to do about my partner's drinking. Al-Anon gave me hope that I would be okay whether she drank or not. And I wasn't sure how to cope with my own emotional life, but I found a way working with professionals that I, that I can live a successful, happy life. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, on that message of hope, um, that is all we've got time for today. So I'd like to thank Richard uh, for sharing his recovery story with us. Thanks, Richard. Thank you, Anne. Thanks for having me. If you're concerned about the drinking of a relative or friend and would like to find out more about Al-Anon family groups, then you can phone them on 1300 252 666 or go online at alanon.org.au. If you would like to find out more about Alcoholics Anonymous, then you can phone them on 1300 222 or go online at aa.org.au. Uh, next week is NADOC week and 3CR programming will celebrate the histories, cultures and achievements of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Living Free will return the following week with more stories of recovery from addiction. Uh, And also, it's not too late to donate to a radiothon. Um, We were aiming at 3CR for $250,000, which we need to keep the station operating. Um, We're nearly there, so if you're motivated to um, donate, uh, please uh, go to the 3CR website and you'll find the way. Coming up next, we have Balanoir, The Spirit of Wa, hosted by Uncle Taljim Choco Edwards. Join Uncle Choco on a journey of belonging and movement through sing-alongs and yarns. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and stay tuned now for more Radical Radio on 3CR.
And to take us out, we've got a song called Temptation by the Waifs. Temptation, temptation, flee from me, devil, flee. Forty days and nights in the wilderness, Jesus hung it there. And the devil said, Make these stones be bread. If you are who you say you are, and Jesus said, Get behind. Me, Satan, it was written long ago. Man shall live by the word of God, not by bread alone. Temptation. Temptation, flee from me, devil, flee. For I am walking on the narrow way, and I have no need of thee. Then he let him up, let him up on the temple, mm-hmm. and said, "Cast thee down below, for an angel of God will bear thee, lest thou be dashed upon the stones." And Jesus said, "Get behind." Me, Satan, was written in days of old. If thou tempt the Lord thy God, is at the peril of thy soul. Temptation, flee from me, devil, flee. For I am walking on the narrow way, and I have no need of thee.
on a mountain. He got the whole world. Oh, you see, all these kingdoms I will give you if you fall down at my feet. Jesus said. It was written on tables of stone. Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and the Lord thy God alone. Temptation, temptation. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.